Philemon, verse 8 through the end of the chapter. So accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, love this, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We are best prepared for anything that we face when we know the truth of God's word. And as I just prayed a while ago, um, knowledge must move beyond just knowing things. There's a lot of people who know facts. But what's important for us is to know what the truth is and to begin to live that out. And each time we live out our faith and we put practicality to the things that we know, we are interconnecting and building a pathway in our lives that moves us on that when we do face certain things, we've already got some principles in place, some direction in place that prepare us for whatever may come up. And this is what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to talk foundationally kind of undergirding all of this. What is, what is ethics and what is Christian ethics? And ethics are moral aspects of things, moral principles, which guide us in the way that we make decisions when we encounter certain things. And, and by having the right kind of Christian ethics, when we do face certain things, again, we are prepared for whatever comes up, even though we may not have ever experienced this new thing before. But because we have principles and because we are walking with Him, we are ready for that. And so this just remind us that this letter... Um, this letter that is written to Philemon, Paul is in prison, and his slave, his servant, 
Onesimus has fled from him and the appearances there when Paul talks about charge this to my account that likely when Onesimus left Philemon and he fled to Rome that he likely stole from Philemon. And so Paul is going to wants to make sure that that is taken care of and many other aspects of things are going to be taken care of. And so this letter to Philemon is a brilliant affirmation and application of this truth about Christian ethics. So again, Christian ethics are moral principles that are Christ-centered that shape and determine the direction of our lives. They govern us, they guide us and give us directions. The kind of idea of our personal integrity that when nobody's looking, because we have ethics, we're going to do the right thing, whether people are looking or whether they are not looking. Now, in Rome, I want to paint the picture for us again. So we don't know why Onesimus fled from Philemon, but he flees and he ends up in Rome. He's living in the city of Colossae, modern-day Turkey. He flees to Rome. It's a 1,000 miles away. I shared this last week. That's like leaving the front part of our property and heading to Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, from the front part of our property is 1,050 miles. That's what Onesimus does. He flees Colossae. He ends up in Rome. And I've shared this in these last two weeks, and I want to remind us again, God is ever at work in our lives at times when we don't think God may be at work. Now, God is at work. Onesimus is living under the authority of a man named Philemon, who is a godly man. And he leaves and he goes. He ends up in Rome and he encounters somewhere in Rome, either other believers or somehow somebody gets him to encounter the Apostle Paul. And the appearances there is that Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. So he flees Philemon, wanting to get away from all of that. He ends up in Rome and he meets of all people the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine of all the people you can meet, meeting the Apostle Paul? And so Paul there, we'll talk about it in a second, calls himself a father, a spiritual father to Onesimus. And so they began to have a conversation. And it must have gone something like this. What do we do, Onesimus, about your situation? You've stolen from Philemon. You've broken Roman law by fleeing here. Um, And so they began to probably talk about a number of things. Here's some possible questions they could have asked themselves. What's the safest thing to do? I'm here in Rome. The safest thing would be not go back and just let's just move on with life and not have to uh, give an account for anything that I've done, but we could just stay here. That's one question they could have asked. They could have asked, what's best for us, not what's best for Philemon and his life. They could have asked this question that we can ask. Oh, man, to make this right, it's just going to be too hard. You ever had a situation like that where you know you got to go, you need to go talk to somebody, you've got to need to make something right, and you're just, um, the question comes up, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be a hard conversation, and I don't want to do that. They could have asked this, well, can we send the, Paul, can you write a letter And let's send it with somebody else. And they can just take it. I don't have to take it. I don't have to go. And that way I don't have to, you know, the letter can just communicate, I'm sorry about this. They could have talked about, well, what if he he gets the letter and he sees me and he just 
responds in great anger. You know, he has the authority because he is my master that he could kill me on the spot under Roman law. And this might not go well for me. And here's what I know about the Apostle Paul and here's what we know about Onesimus. They didn't ask any of those questions, did they? They asked the question is this, is what is biblical and what is right? And whatever is biblical and what is right, that's what we're going to do. And so here's what they determined. What's right is, Onesimus, you've become, I've become your spiritual father. You've been a great help to me in my imprisonment and my ministry here in Rome. But what's right and what's more important is that you leave Rome, you travel a thousand miles, you go all the way back to Colossae, and you make things right with Philemon. So here's the point, and we're not closing, but here's the point. It is the point. As Christ followers, that ultimately is the only question that we ask and the only one we answer. What is biblically right in any and every situation? So they've come to the conclusion that um, Onesimus can't stay In Rome, he's got to go back and he's got to go and he's got to get things right. Now think about this for a moment. He's going to go back and he's got to face Philemon. This is going to take quite a bit of courage because under Roman law, that as soon as Philemon sees Onesimus, he has the the Roman authority that he could kill Onesimus right there on the spot at no cost to him, no trouble to him whatsoever. So as... So as Onesimus is traveling back a thousand miles, he's carrying this letter that Paul has written to Philemon. And he's no doubt reading it over this a thousand miles, taking it back there. And he realizes that there's all kinds of consequences. There's all kinds of things that can come come out of that. But he has great Christian courage. Because he's guided by Christian ethics that I must do what is right, and what is right is I've got to go back and I've got to look Philemon straight in the eye. I need to confess my sin. I need to apologize to him. I need to hand this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to him. And the beauty of this story is this, is that God, I believe, we don't know the end story, but I believe that God does an incredible work when Onesimus gets back and there's restoration between Philemon and Onesimus. So as we close out this letter today, let's look at the first thing this morning. The first thing I want, to, I want us to look at is in the first part of verse 8. Paul writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So let's talk about that for a moment. So Paul is basically saying this. And so keep in mind, Philemon at this particular point in time has no idea what's happened with Onesimus in Rome. He doesn't know that he's become a believer. All Philemon knows is that, is that Onesimus has fled. He doesn't know where he's fled to. He has zero information. And so one day, Philemon and Tychicus are going to come back and they're going to step into the streets of Colossae and they're going to find Philemon and they're going to walk up to him and they're going to hand him this letter that has come from Paul. And as Paul knows that this is going to be a unique moment for Philemon, 
can do one of two things. He can say this, Philemon, I am the Apostle Paul, and I have the authority by Christ to command you to do what is right. So he could lean on his apostolic authority to just basically say to Philemon, you don't have a choice in this. You need to forgive him, but that's not what Paul does. And so he says there, and he literally says that, he says, listen, I'm, I, I have the authority to kind of command you and, and, and put some pressure on you to do this. And, and this word here that, that says, accordingly, though I am bold enough is, um, to command you to do what is required is, is, is a phrase that means this in the Greek, the freedom to say whatever I need to say. And so Paul's saying, listen, listen, Philemon, I can say whatever I need to say about this and I could kind of command you from my apostolic authority that you've got to get this right. You've, you, you must forgive him. Paul's going to take another aspect, though he could lean on that and though he could say, listen, the Bible tells you that you are to forgive as you have been forgiven. This word command in the text here in verse 8 is a military word and it means to arrange something in order, to put something in order. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, I, I, could, I could command this with the authority that I have that Christ has given me, and I could arrange this and I could make this happen, but I want to take a different approach. I want to take a loving approach. I want to approach you, Philemon, not from putting pressure on you, but I want to make an appeal to you for love's sake. So look at verse 9, and this is the second thing. So he could try to command him to do what's right, but that's not the approach that Paul takes. Verse 9, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you, he says. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So Paul kind of gives us some insight to where he is at this particular point in time in his life. And a key part of why he is taking this approach is he says this. He says this, kind of two reasons to soften Philemon's heart. Philemon, my friend... I am old now, and I've fought for a long time over many, many battles. And I'm currently in prison for my faith, so I am appealing to you, my friend, for the sake of genuine love of the gospel and among believers that you would do the right thing and be reconciled to your now new brother in Christ that you have just found out about, Onesimus. When you look at verse 9, Paul uses a word that we saw a lot in the study of the Gospel of John, particularly in regard to the Holy Spirit. It's a word called um, parakleo. Um, The Holy Spirit's called paraclete. It's It's a word in the Greek that means to come alongside someone, to give them strength, and to walk with them. And this is the word that Paul uses here. He communicates to Philemon, listen, I'm appealing to you. I'm coming alongside you to appeal to you. You're just finding out about this. I know that you're finding out about this. But your brother Onesimus, who had stolen from you, had fled from you, he has now become a believer. And so I'm coming alongside of you to say this. I'm appealing for the love of the gospel, for the love of the church, for the love among believers, that you would extend forgiveness to Onesimus. And Paul leans on, I'm an old man, I'm tired. I'm tired of fought many, many battles, and I don't want to fight this battle. So, Onesimus, I'm, I'm calling on you for the sake of love, to love your brother in Christ now, who's called Onesimus. This is the same word that 
Also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that means this, to beg and to plead. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you, Philemon, that the Christ that is in you and the goodness that is in you, that you would extend this to Onesimus. So Paul is going to come alongside of him. There's a greater demand. Let me just say this. I think it's important for us in light of our season, in light of where Paul was. Nero is in charge of things. Not a good thing. Nero was brutal to Christians, hated Christians. And so here they are in, in prison, and, and, and there are some legal things that Philemon could lead on, lean on. And I want to remind us as Christ followers that there's something greater for us that we lean on other than laws from government. We lean on the incredible, massive, awesome, loving, beautiful, strengthening, enduring love of God. And this is what he does here. There's a greater demand on Philemon than legalities. And I remind us, as well as Christians in our culture today with the craziness that's going around, that where we lean and where we stake our claim is is in the truth of God's word, in the nature of God, in who God is. And that's where we make our stand and and model faith and, and live our faith in the midst of our culture. So Paul, first of all, says, listen, I could, I could compel you, I could command you to do what is right, but I don't want to do that. I want to appeal to you for love's sake, and out of love's sake that you would love Onesimus. So let's look at the third thing. I want to read again verse 10 through 13. So this is an appeal for a new brother to continue to live in Christ's goodness. So look at verse 10, and let's read through 13. So I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart with him. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now here's what I want to set up in this third point this morning that I think is important for us to see. Onesimus, we don't know how long he had been a slave. And again, let me just remind us, the Bible doesn't affirm slavery. What the Bible is communicating is that slavery was the reality of the Roman world. And Christians were going to have to live and work in the midst of that. And so the Bible is not affirming, God's not affirming um, that slavery is good. Slavery is bad. Owning people, can we agree, is bad. Are we in agreement about that? It is always bad. But in some places, it's the reality, and, and Christians have to, just as we do, live in a world that has laws that we don't agree with. We have, to, we have to figure out how do we live in a culture that has laws and practices that we as Christians do not agree with at all. How do we deal with that? And so that's all that Paul is doing here in, in, in the midst of this. So he's, Onesimus has gotten to Rome. He's become a believer. He's being discipled by Paul. Good things are happening on Onesimus' life that had not happened ever before in his life. And so as he goes back, Paul is leaning on the goodness inside of Philemon to extend goodness to Onesimus, who's going to continue to need to know about 
the goodness of Christianity. And he's going to learn it really, really well if the Christ that's in Philemon moves Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Sometimes the greatest impact upon our lives is when other people do really good things to us and for us. And it moves us and it strengthens our faith and it motivates us. And so, so when I talk about an appeal for a brother to continue in Christ's goodness, we're talking about Onesimus. If Philemon, if he gets back and Philemon says, no death to you, what kind of example is that of Christianity? That Christianity just wants to extend punishment to someone who is wronged. But Christianity becomes beautiful when somebody has been wronged, extends forgiveness to that person that has wronged them. And so he's calling on Philemon to be godly, to be good, to be holy, to be as God, and forgive the one who has wronged him. Now, it's interesting here. I want to point out how Paul feels about Onesimus. By the way, as we talk about all these people, we're going to get to meet them one day. We'll get to meet Onesimus. And I love them. when we get to heaven, we're going to be perfect. But one of the things that I'm hoping, and this is my messed up mind, okay, so just bear with me for a moment. One of the things that I'm hoping in our perfection that we don't know every story about everyone that we'll meet in heaven, and I'm hoping that we'll get to have some conversations with people. I'd love to meet Onesimus and say, how did you feel when you saw Philemon for the first time when you got back to Colossae? I'd love to ask Philemon, what was it like when you saw Onesimus for the first time? And wouldn't it be beautiful in a setting of absolute perfection in the presence of Christ to hear those two men talk about, we hugged each other. We loved one another. I forgave him. This was my now brother in Christ. So Paul loves this guy. And he says some unique things. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. He is willing to take a stand for Onesimus. When you take a stand for someone, you love that person. You're standing in the place of that person. So, and so he says this, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Now again, Philemon, when he gets this letter and Onesimus is standing in front of him, he's reading this and he's having to process all of this stuff um, in the moment, likely. But as, but as he reads that, he's recognizing this one that I love. And Philemon and Paul were friends. They were partners in the gospel. We see that in this book. And so he knows Paul. He knows what Paul's like. He spent lots of time with Paul. So as Paul is asking him to do this, he's going to know Paul, just, he's not kind of a flippant guy. He's a pretty serious guy. And so he's appealing to me to look at Onesimus in a new way, in a different way. And Paul is willing to take a stand for Onesimus. And so he calls him my child. This word child in the Greek is a word that means a child produced or a child that is born. So we can only conclude from that is who led Onesimus to faith. It appears the Apostle Paul did. That Paul would have shared the gospel with him somehow, and I have no idea how does, how does Onesimus 
get connected to Paul in prison? I have no idea. But you know what God can do? He can do all kinds of things. He can get Onesimus into the presence of Paul, who's even in prison in Rome, to hear about the gospel and to be changed from it. So one, he's willing to take a stand for Onesimus. Number two is this, is he becomes a spiritual father to Onesimus. So he says that, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul seems to be his main discipler, investing his life in Onesimus. Then he tells this thirdly about Onesimus. He's gone from useless to beneficial. And it's in parentheses there, and it says this, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you, and not only to you, Philemon, now, because of the change that's come in his life. He's been useful to me in my imprisonment. Here's the indication that when he left, he probably was not a good worker, Onesimus. We don't, we don't, that, that's just kind of the indication. He just wasn't beneficial to Philemon at all. He may have complained all the time. He may not have been a hard worker, but now he, he's come to faith. Paul's investing his life in Onesimus. He's got integrity. He's working hard. He's beneficial to Paul. He's learning about how to give his life to others, to partner with them, to be beside them. And so now he's saying this to Philemon. Listen, you know him as somebody who just didn't work hard. We know, do you know people like that? That's your work and been around people like that? Who, you know, they seem to go to the bathroom a lot when everybody's really working hard or they seem to get in conversations. Um, there's paper on the floor and they walk by it, Jane Cross, and, and uh, don't pick it up and expect other, peop- other people to pick it up and stuff. She gave me a hard time about that a few weeks ago. We all know people like that, that at one particular point in time, they just were kind of useless. But guess what happens? The gospel falls on somebody's life, and they're a new creature. They're a new person. And they're totally different now. And so Paul is wanting Philemon to know, listen, I know your perspective, Onesimus, and it's got to change. Because he's not like that anymore. He is not like that at all. And so listen to what Paul says fourthly about Onesimus. So I'm sending him back to you. And as I send him back to you, Paul says this, I'm sending my very heart. Here's what Paul's saying. When Onesimus gets back to Colossae, and he walks up to Philemon, and he hands him the letter, and they talk, And he wipes the shocked look off Philemon's face that he's back there in his presence. Paul is saying this, that I have discipled Onesimus in such a way that as he gets back to you, what you see in him is the heart of me that has poured itself into his life for the gospel. So as you see him, And you see the change. That change has come because of the gospel and my investment in the life of Onesimus. And so Paul's just saying this, I have placed my very heart in the life of Onesimus. And so so he now has an integrity. Before he didn't have an integrity, he wasn't useful. Now he's incredibly beneficial. And I'm sending him back to you. And as I send him back to you, I'm sending him with my very heart. He has my very heart. Lastly, 
about Paul's communication here about Onesimus is that Onesimus became a faithful servant of the gospel. And so in verse 13, Paul says, I would love to keep him here with me, but I couldn't do that. We had to do the right thing. He had to go back and he had to come to you and he needed to talk with you. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on behalf of my imprisonment for the gospel. But Paul knew this, that he had to go back, but he had become a faithful worker in the midst of the gospel. Let's look at the next thing. Look at 14 through 16. And let's talk about one more change that happened in his life. 14 through 16. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Listen to what Paul says there. I'm not trying to force you to do this. This is something that you need to do. 15. For this, perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul has great insight to humanity. He knows that ultimately he can't force Philemon to do anything. But he knew that what he should do is to appeal to the goodness of Christ that's in Philemon. And as Philemon thinks about the gospel and he thinks about forgiveness and how he has been forgiven and how Paul invested in Philemon's life. If you saw that a while ago when we read, he said this, Philemon, you owe me my life as well. I've given so much of my life to you, Philemon. And so he, he, he's sharing this, this heart of, I can't make you do this. So the goodness that is in you because of your great love for Jesus, I'm asking you to extend that goodness to Onesimus. Now, Paul was not just wanting to assume how his friend Philemon was going to respond to this, but he wanted to be upfront and he wanted to be honest with him about that. And so Paul affirms in verse 14 that Philemon has great goodness living inside him. Guess what's a fruit of the Spirit? Y'all remember the little song? Goodness. When the Spirit is alive in our life, goodness flows out of our lives. There should not, hear this this morning, this bothers you, get over it already before I say it. There should not be cranky Christians. There just shouldn't. We should be men and women, students, boys and girls who live by the Spirit and give goodness and live out goodness for the benefit of others. And so because Philemon is a man of great integrity and loves the Lord, the church is meeting inside of his house. He's been wronged totally been wronged by Onesimus. But Paul does a unique thing here. I am pleading with your integrity and I'm appealing to your integrity. I'm coming alongside you to say to you, use that goodness to be extended to your now brother in Christ who was once your bondservant. See, Paul trusted the Spirit of God inside Philemon to lead him to do the biblical thing of his own accord. Let me give you some insight to me just for a moment. I've been accused through the years of being too patient with 
people who aren't necessarily living right in the moment. And the reason I lean that direction, sometimes um, I, I don't know what the line is. I don't, you know, I don't know what the line is. How long if I, do I wait too long? I don't know this. But I just know this, that sometimes I could come to you and I could knock on your door and I could, I could have a conversation with somebody and I could kind of, from a pastoral perspective, put pressure on. Or I could be patient communicate, teach, have conversations to where you get to the place where you make that decision and it becomes a decision that you own. And you know this, that when we own our decisions and God is alive and at work in us, we own those decisions. We all have that thing in us that doesn't like people to tell us what to do. And so this is what Paul's doing. Philemon, you're my partner in the gospel, and I could put pressure on you as an apostle and one who's partnered with you to tell you that you just have to. You don't have a choice in this, though he didn't have a choice in it. But he thought, I'm going to take a different approach. The gospel is about love. The gospel is about sinners being reconciled, and sinners are reconciled to God because of God's great love. And so he's saying to Philemon, that goodness that's in you, that you've come to taste and know that's true about who Jesus is, I am asking that that goodness be extended now to your brother in Christ, as strange as it may sound to you, and forgive him and love him and care for him. Now think about this for a moment. Onesimus, and again, I I think all of this works out, my opinion, because of the integrity of Philemon and the goodness of God that's in Philemon, Onesimus gets back there and he goes from bondservant to beloved brother. How amazing is that? This is what God's gospel does. This is why the gospel is such good news. Who we used to be isn't how we have to stay. Think about all the things in every one of our lives that we could put up on a board this morning and go, golly, what in the world are those people doing at church? And and the reason we are at church this morning is because of who we used to be has been touched by the power of God and because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. And we are not who we used to be. We are transformed. We are changed. And once we are changed, then we've got to become, as Paul is appealing to Philemon, to now remember what it was like to be separated from God, not under His love, not a child, coming to the place to realize, I am now who you say I am. I I know what I used to be, but now I know that when you speak about me as your child, that I am who you say I am. I belong to you. I'm in the kingdom. I am in the family of God. And so Onesimus goes from bondservant to beloved brother. And What an incredible picture that is in the text here. In faith, we get a new family. We get a new name. We get a new identity. We get a new course of life. 
and so many things. Now look at 17 through 19. And I'll talk for a moment about standing in the gap for others. So if you consider me your partner, again, this is to Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, this is in the gospel. Receive him as you would receive me. Again, Paul's saying this, I'm sending my very heart in him. So when he gets there, it's as if I'm there in your presence, Philemon. I've poured my heart in him. So if you consider me your partner, receive him just as you would receive me. And listen what Paul says. If he has wronged you at all, if he owes you anything, then you put that into my account. And I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Two principles here that I want to point out. First part of 17 there. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you receive me. Partners in the faith of the gospel give consideration to one another. So if at some point in time, James Roberts comes to me or... Um, Whoever else in the room comes to me and, and they appeal to me, hey, hey, let's, 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 let's think about this in regard to somebody that we're ministering to and, and let, let, let's, let's think about this as we're partnering together. Um, let's think about how we can best do this. Instead of me going, no, no, we're, we're going to do this my way. We're going to do this my way. I've got a better way. Sometimes in this partnership that we have together within the church and knowing one another, we listen to one another and there's a given intake with this and, and we consider what other people are thinking and that there's a unique insight that they may have about how we can best minister and love someone else. This word partner here is, this, is kind of the root word that we get, this word called koinonia, which means fellowship. And so that's what Paul's saying. As we have partnered together and we have in common the gospel, I am asking you to not be individualistic about this, to not think about how you've been wronged. I want you to think about the good of the church in Colossae. Now, I want to ask this question. Let's say that Tychicus and Onesimus arrive on a Tuesday. And they hand the letter to Philemon. He reads it. There's conversation there. Word begins to trickle out because, let's face it, Christians do gossip, talk about things. Word gets out in the community. Onesimus is back in town. Well, how did Philemon respond? And, you know, people talk. Can you imagine that Sunday morning showing up to church and seeing Onesimus and Philemon sitting together arm in arm, worshiping Jesus? You know how powerful that is in a body of believers when God does a work like that? And so he stands in the gap, Paul does, for Onesimus. Sometimes partners in the faith give consideration to each other. And that's what Paul's saying to Philemon. I'm asking you as a partner in the gospel to hear me out on this. You need to extend forgiveness. I'm appealing to the love of the gospel to extend forgiveness 
to Onesimus. And then we also do this. We take responsibility sometimes for what other people have done and we stand in the gap and we attempt to make things right. Now, we're not to always do this. Paul says this. He says, he says when I get back there, you put into my account anything that he has taken from you, put it into my account. And if I get out of prison and I come to see you, I will make it right. I will pay money. I will give money to you, Philemon, in regard to whatever Onesimus has done to you. Sometimes in the church, we do this for others. Now, you can't do this all the time. It's, then it becomes what's called enabling. And people just begin to abuse that. And so you don't do that. But sometimes that's what we do. Somebody's made a, a mess about things financially and they've made a mess of it, but we love them and we can step in and we can help. And then we can give some counsel and some guidance. So we are to stand in the gap for one another. And sometimes we didn't do anything and we step in and we partner, we come alongside and we help. Two last things. Verse 20 and 21. Paul has great confidence that Philemon is going to biblically respond right. So he says, yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, Philemon, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than what I have written here. And at the same time, would you prepare a guest room for me? For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. I want to point out just a couple of things that I think are amazing here. I'm looking forward to meeting Philemon one day. I, th- I think he, he must have been an amazing man. Because of all the people outside of the Apostle Paul, New Testament age, Jesus is the highest. And Paul is way below Jesus. But I think Paul is one of the greatest ones to emulate and to learn from. And here's Paul just appealing for the goodness of Onesimus to the goodness of God inside of Philemon. And they remind us of some pretty incredible realities that we know in the church. One is this. This this morning, and I know not everybody's here this morning. This is a faith family. It's what this is. We're not here this morning in my name. Praise God for that. We are here today in the name of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, lover of people, standing in the gap, going to the cross, dying in our place. We are here this morning for one sole reason, the glory of Jesus Christ. And he births a faith family. And so Paul says to Philemon, yes, brother, you are my brother. We are in the family. I'm in Rome. You're in Colossae. But we don't have to be in the same city because the family of God is not about cities and languages and tribes and 
geographic places, the family of God is about being born again and being united because of him. And so he says, this is a family matter, brother to brother. So yes, brother, I'm appealing to you in this. Secondly, faith in the Lord brings a benefit to others. It just should bring a benefit to others. And so he says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Now, Paul's already had benefit from Philemon. So what's he talking about? He's talking about news of the forgiveness and the reconciliation between these two men. We help others. We are to benefit their lives. Paul's already received that. He wants even more. Thirdly, faith in the body of Christ should refresh us. And so Paul says there, refresh my heart in Christ. This Greek word here means to cause someone else to gain relief by resting. Paul's saying, what a refreshing relief it would be to me if I hear that you, my two friends, you, Philemon, my partner in the gospel, and Onesimus, my child and partner in the gospel, that y'all would be reconciled with one another. How good that would do me if word got back to me in Rome in my imprisonment that you guys are brothers and that you love one another. Faith should refresh. Fourthly, faith should do more, not just what is asked. So that's where he says there in 21, I'm confident of your obedience, Philemon. I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing. And so I write to you, and then he says this, knowing that you will do even more than what I've written in this letter, you're going to do more. That's why it's like this, like I teased Jane a while ago. This is our church. This is not my church. It's our church. So if you do see paper on the ground or if you do see that the yard needs to be mowed, we've got keys that we can give you to the mower. Or if you see that there's a need of, well, I hear somebody's going on a mission trip and I've heard the price of that and, and I know the financial struggles that they have had. How can I contribute to get them to take the gospel on this mission trip to someplace else. Faith does more than what is just asked. We've become really good at, what's the minimum that I can do? And I can't go past that. If that's what Christians think, that is a weak Christianity. And Paul, as he appeals to Philemon, says this, I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing of your obedience. You're going to forgive him. And so I'm writing to you, and I know this too, that you're going to do more because I know you, Philemon. You're going to do more than I've even asked here. And then I want to close with this. We must be encircled 
by faith, friends. And I want you to note how this ends. Twenty-three and twenty-four. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. We're going to have these up on the screen. I'm just going to run through them real quick. Because I think the, the, what runs through this beautiful letter to Philemon is this message of being and having faith friends and being a faith friend to somebody else. Paul's companions were deeply connected to the scripture. And I want to really emphasize this of how important this is. So in Rome, Tychicus is there. Onesimus is there. Paul's written a letter called Colossians. If you've ever read Colossians, phenomenal book. Four chapters, unbelievable book. We also believe at that particular point in time that Paul had written the book of Ephesians. One of my, my favorite letter of Paul's, Ephesians. And then we've just studied Philemon here. So Paul's written Ephesians. He's written Philemon. And he's written Colossians. Guess who's bringing those three letters to Ephesus? and two, One to Ephesus and one and two to Colossae. Tychicus and Onesimus. And they're going to carry these. And we know we learned this about, about them that... In Ephesians, I believe it's Ephesians 6, 21, that they have this letter that's, that's coming with Tychicus. He's going to give it to the church in Ephesus. So these three men over a thousand miles are going to read over and over Ephesians. What we know is Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. They're going to read them over and over. I mean, what else do you do? You're not sitting on a bus. They're walking, spending the night by campfire, staying in places, and they're going to read these three letters. Can you imagine the impact over a thousand mile journey to be the first ones to read over and over and over and over again those three awesome books of the New Testament. So not only does Paul have Tychicus and Onesimus who will carry, uh, Tychicus will carry likely um, Ephesians and Colossians. We learned that about he carries Colossians in Colossians 4, 7 through 8. Onesimus will carry the letter of Philemon, hand it to Philemon. He also has John Mark with him in Rome who wrote a pretty good gospel called Mark, if you haven't read that. Pretty awesome. A testimony of Jesus. He also has a guy in Rome with him called Luke. You heard of Luke? He wrote a 24-chapter book on the life of Jesus, and then he wrote a 28-chapter book on the founding of the first century church. So he's got those around him. We should surround ourselves, listen to this, we should surround ourselves with people who highly value the Scripture. We need that more than drinking buddies, cigar friends, shopping people, 
Instagram friends, we must be, as we look at the life of Paul, have people all around our life who love the Scripture. For if we don't, those other people will begin to have influence in our life to call us away from the value of Scripture. Paul's friends were deeply tied to the Great Commission and Gospel writings. Should we have lost people in our life? Absolutely. We should share the Gospel. But our best friends should not be lost people. Our lives should be deeply surrounded by people who love the gospel. They accused Jesus of liking prostitutes and tax collectors. That's not who he spent the majority of his time with. Who did he spend the majority of his time with? Twelve men around belief, around the gospel, around walking in obedience to God's word. So listen, we need the security of faithful friends. We need to realize that people are, the, are our great resource. You know what Mark Verlander will never let me do? We work together and we talk together all the time. He's never going to let me slide. He will never let me slide. And every one of us need multiple people like that. And I've got some bad days where on Monday I want to quit. I just want to be done with it all. Y'all frustrate me sometimes. And Mark says, no, no. And he talks me down from the ledge and reminds me that what we are doing here matters. It matters. It's valuable and it's important. St. Augustine said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. And what he's talking about there is this, is that we can do nothing without God's sovereign power and God's sovereign authority, but God has chosen to release his power and authority through people to do the work. Thirdly, solo is not the way of the Christ follower. The Apostle Paul, we only see him one time by himself, and that's when he's in in Athens. And pretty soon after that, he's connected with people on the missionary journeys. Sometimes we we are by ourselves, right? We are by ourselves. But the majority of our life is not to be out there living alone. That's why, for me, it's just, I, I don't get it, and I'm just being honest. For Christians who say, well, I don't need the church. Really? Yeah, I love, I, I love uh, they, they'll, they'll say to me, I love Ephesians, I love Colossians, I love Hebrews. And I just love saying back to them, do you know that all of those letters were written to churches? You say you value the church. Those letters are written to gathered people. You have to love the church and you've got to meet with God's people. Solo is not the way of the Christ follower. Lastly, we need to surround ourselves with prison friends. Prison friends. 
Not everybody in Paul's life was in prison with him, but he needed people in his hard days to be there with him. And when his, fo- his most faithful companion was a guy named Luke. From Acts 16 on, I don't think they were ever separated from one another. And I believe it's probably the case that Luke would have been there the day that Nero chopped off Paul's head and Paul was martyred for his faith. And I often think about their friendship. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that they had been on frequent journeys. They had been in the cold. They'd been in the heat. They'd been in rivers. They'd been shipwrecked. Um, They've been with, with food and without food, often near death. Paul writes, we've often been near death. And we really, we really give Paul a lot of credit in all of that he writes there in 2 Corinthians 11. But you know who was on every one of those journeys? Luke. Luke was. And he, didn't, he doesn't get the great credit that Paul is because Paul was this unique apostle that, that, that came to just tear up the world and establish the church in the first century. And often think about what it was like if Luke took the beheaded body of Paul and his head and buried it somewhere in Rome. And I wondered about his emotions as he thought about his friend. The last words that we know that Paul said are found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he, this is where he famously says, I've run the race, I've finished it. I fought the good fight. Now what, in, what, what awaits for me is the crown of righteousness which the Lord Jesus himself will award to me on that day and not only to me but to all who have longed for his appearing. And then just a few sentences later and he says, Luke alone is with me. Everybody else is gone. But Luke was there. Luke was there. And I don't care if you get offended about this because I love you. You have got to get people in your life. You've got to get a Luke in your life. All of us have got to surround our lives with people who value the gospel because there's going to come a day when we need those kind of people to be there. So get them. Get those people in our lives. We must do that. We must fight for that. We must live that way. I could go on. I'm not. Isn't that a beautiful one-page letter written by Paul in Rome that travels a thousand miles? And I believe this. I I just can't not believe it that there was a beautiful reunion and forgiveness between those two men that only the gospel can do. Let's pray.